Hello and welcome to this week's episode of ESG Fitness, the podcast, or as some like to call it, story time with an EY. I want to start this podcast by bigging up the other podcast that I do, which is Fitness Unfiltered. And mainly because actually quite a few of you have mentioned in your check-ins that last week's podcast really resonated with you and I guess just helped you a little bit. And especially one which I'm going to read out now. Um, out on one check-in, one of you guys said that you were listening to the Fitness Unfiltered podcast and it really struck a chord. And you were literally in M&S holding a box of mini meringues about to pick up a bag of cookie dough bites when Amelia was saying that people use food to cope and to sort of numb feelings. And then you stopped, put them back, went home and cried and probably let out a lot of that emotion. And and then you've gone back and listened to some of Amelia's tips, which is amazing. If any of you don't follow Amelia, you you very much should. I'm sure you already do. Um, I share quite a lot of her stuff, but she's absolutely brilliant and really helps you think about reasons maybe why you're eating that aren't to do with physiology and more to do with emotion and trying to, I guess, just think more about why you're eating if you're hungry, to slow down and be more mindful and present when you're eating. So... If you haven't listened to the Fitness Unfiltered episode from last week, please do. We've also, at this moment in time, which is Sunday evening, just recorded this coming week's podcast, which is with Ben Mudge, who is absolutely amazing and so inspirational. And I start crying in the podcast, which, you know, has happened more times than I care to admit, but it is just an amazing podcast. So do have a listen to that as well. Now, another tip from one of you guys, which links into the mindful eating, is a timer. So I'd never really thought of this, such a simple concept, but absolutely genius. So you set a timer for 30 minutes. If you're still hungry then, and you still want the food that you were craving before, or that you're about to eat, despite possibly already having eaten, then you let yourself have it. But normally by that point, you found something else to do, realized that you were just a little bit bored and the craving has gone, which is, yeah, like I'm saying, is such an easy concept, but I actually think implementing that is gonna make a huge difference. And as much as I would love to claim this, it was actually from Nick, so shout out to Nick for this awesome tip, which you can now all benefit from you are bloody welcome. This week, I would like to speak for a while about the menopause. And this is something that if you're a woman, you are gonna go through and some of you may be going through at the moment. So hopefully this will help and just clears up a few things and also a very interesting topic. So without further ado, I'm gonna start with weight gain and the menopause. So women do tend to gain body fat as they go through the menopause. And this is for a number of factors that come together to shift energy balance. So as you all know, calories can't magically be stored from nowhere. So there is this shift in energy balance. So if we look at an example, a typical woman going through the menopause may experience reduced sleep, increased stress, low mood, hot, 
flashes or flushes. See, I don't know if this is an American thing and I'm happy to be wrong, but I would have always said a hot flush. However, it seems to actually be flash. Now, I don't know if I've just been saying it wrong forever or if that's an American thing. I'm happy to be wrong. Anyway, I'm not sure that that's really relevant. Hot flashes or flushes and all of the above um, make it more likely that you'll turn to food for comfort and less likely that you'll feel like exercising, basically. So lack of sleep alone has been linked to weight gain. Now add to that mood swings, stress, and random episodes of hot flashes or flushes, and you kind of have this perfect storm for weight gain. Now, something else that happens as you go through the menopause or as you're perimenopausal is that there are rises and falls, quite drastic rises and falls in your estrogen levels. So estrogen has an impact on many processes in the body, including your metabolism and your fat storage. So women going through the menopause and experiencing these drastic rises and falls in estrogen may find their usual metabolic rhythm is somewhat disturbed. For example, Drops in estrogen can lead to reduced metabolism and increased appetite. For this reason, hormone replacement therapy may help alleviate some weight gain during perimenopause. Now, I'm just gonna add here that I am not a doctor. Please speak to your GP about these things. Um, They know far more than I do, but this is just I guess an interesting overview and I am well aware that I have the luxury of a lot more time to possibly explain these things than maybe your doctor does in 10 minutes but please don't take on any of this as advice please speak to your GP okay thank you I shall continue so women who do go on hormone replacement therapy which may or may not be suitable for you experience generally less weight gain during peri or when they're postmenopausal, and it's unclear whether this is from reduced side effects or a direct action of estrogen estrogen sorry estrogen estrogen or probably more likely as with most most things a combination of the two so it does seem that hormone replacement therapy structured resistance training and diet will reduce or mitigate some of the excess fat storage during the menopause or as you go through the menopause. Now, somewhat unsurprisingly, I am going to suggest resistance training. I know, who would have thought? This is because not only does resistance training have many benefits at any stage of life, it has especially this is very bad English, it has more benefits, not more, heightened, it is more important to be doing during perimenopause. So resistance training will um, decrease the loss in bone mineral density, which is one of the negative side effects of going through menopause, and also increase strength and lean body mass, resulting in a lower body fat percentage, all other things being equal, of course. So resistance training may also improve sleep quality and reduce perceived pain. And I've suddenly become quite aware that I didn't really explain what the menopause is. So 
let's just do a little step back and a quick recap here. The menopause is a time in life when a woman stops producing eggs. At this stage, a woman's menstrual cycle ends and with this comes many hormonal changes. So before the menopause, you go through perimenopause, which is essentially the process of less frequent egg production. And with this, many hormonal changes occur and a variety of symptoms occur, some of which I've already spoken about. So these hot flashes or flushes, Um, night sweats, poor sleep, vaginal dryness or painful intercourse, depression and mood swings. As we know, you know, hormones just at your time of the month can be pretty bad and you can be extremely emotional during that time and have awful mood swings. Now maybe times that by a hundred and you're probably, you know, experiencing something close to what some of these women are going through. So this actually may, interestingly, may be related to estrogen receptors in the brain and the now lower levels of estrogen or less estrogen reducing these serotonin levels. So serotonin is a neurotransmitter linked to reward pathways in the brain and it's often associated with happiness. So for example, MDMA also induces the release of serotonin. And I've heard, and obviously never experienced, that that makes you pretty happy, at least acutely. Anyway, um, crazy mood swings are hardly surprising given these hormonal changes going on. And I would imagine it is extremely hard to deal with these. I know that I can be absolutely awful just at my time of the month. So this is going to be... enjoyable to go through when I go through that hopefully have a little time before then and I'm sure knowing why these mood swings happen doesn't hugely help because even when you're trying to be rational around that sort of time or when you know that maybe your period is due the next week it doesn't mean that those feelings aren't still so real So yeah, even if you know, oh, do you know what? I'm probably just grumpy because I'm due next week. It doesn't mean that you can just snap out of being grumpy. Uh, If only. Anyway, add on this, the lack of sleep, potentially painful sex and hot flushes. And that probably won't help your mood either. Now, another very important, although you probably won't notice straight away, side effect is a drop in bone mineral density. So inactive women who are not on hormone replacement therapy may experience a loss of up to 3% of their bone mineral density a year during perimenopause. And this loss may continue into menopause. So this can lead to osteoporosis or making it easier for your bones to break. And osteoporosis is when your bones become weak and brittle and have an increased risk of fracture. And it can lead to reduced activity and poorer quality of life with aging. So a lot of people talk about longevity, but really what we care about is quality of life as we age. Women can start to go through the menopause anywhere between the ages of 30 and 50. And certain factors can cause earlier menopause, including smoking. 
Um, if you are experiencing symptoms, it is essential that you go and see your GP as hormone replacement therapy can limit bone mineral density loss. And as I'm sure you're probably aware I'm about to say, resistance training can also attenuate bone mineral density loss, at least to some extent. So if you are pre-menopause and you think, oh, I'll deal with that when it comes, think again, because you're far better going through this stage lean and strong, because that will make it a hell of a lot easier. So you need to be lifting weights as well. Now, I am well aware I am preaching to the converted here and that all of you lift weights. So that's great. Well done. Keep going. Now, just to rub salt into the wound, not only is weight gain associated with the menopause, but so is fat or body fat redistribution, with more body fat being stored around your middle. And this has unfavorable metabolic health outcomes, so an increased risk of cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes. But again, if you stay lean, strong and resistance train, a lot of these negative side effects can at least be attenuated. So if you are going through the menopause and you are staying lean, fit, healthy, strong and resistance training, then you're awesome. Keep going. And know that this is one of the most important times in your life to be doing that. So you're even more awesome. Now, I'm going to move on to something, a concept we'll call it, which I would like to get across. And that is for some of you, especially those who are really, really strict about their calorie goal, I want you to really listen to the next part. So you need to stop being so anal about that calorie goal. And the reason for this is it's an estimate and it should be treated and considered as such. So I'm going to speak through this, but initially I will come up with a goal, any coach will, that is based on your activity levels and your current weight. Those are the two primary drivers. Now, obviously, and your goal. So if fat loss is the goal, let's just say that fat loss is the goal. So I will come up with a calorie target based on that, which as you know, we will monitor and adapt as and when needed. Now, let me all, let me just... Um, make the point here that every calorie goal I set you is normally to the hundred. So it might be 1600, might be 1800, might be 1850, but it's never going to be 1881 calories or something that precise. Why? Because it's an estimate. It's a ballpark figure and that's how it should be treated. So if you're two calories over or two calories under, it really doesn't matter. So from that side, from the term of the side of the energy in, it's not a huge deal. Now we look at the other side of the equation, the energy balance equation, if you will, and that's energy out. Now, energy out is going to vary so much day to day. Even if you were still hitting exactly 12,000 steps, your energy output is probably going to vary. Now, the fact is you're not going to hit exactly 12,000 steps every day. Some days you might walk more, some days you might walk uh, walk less. Some days you might train, some days you might not. Some days you might walk down to the bus stop, realize that you forgot your lunch, run back and go back to the bus stop. Now that's probably going to burn, depending on how far your bus stop away is away, 
I don't know, let's say it's 50 extra calories. But some people are being so anal about their calories that they can't, you know, oh, I'm 10, if I had that, I'd be 10 calories over, so I'll not have it. Right, 10 calories is the same as running upstairs to go to the toilet and running back down in the middle of Love Island. Like, this is such a small amount. I never want anyone to feel that they're, that they have to be that over-restrictive and anal about things. So let's look at this from the perspective of actually both energy intake and energy expenditure are variable. Having a target is good, but realizing that that is a real estimate. I mean, if you're worrying about 10 calories at the end of the day, that could be as little as, I don't know, you sat in the cold for an hour and your body was working to produce a little bit of heat. That's exactly how small that difference is. Just to really hammer this home, that would mean that if you wanted to create the exact same energy deficit every single day, you would have to change your calories daily based on any changes in behavior. Now, not only would this be insanely anal and unnecessary, but we simply don't have the technology to do it accurately. So the importance of your specific calorie goal should not be overemphasized. If you need proof of this concept, let's have a look at all the diets that work that don't involve counting calories. So for example, people have lost a hell of a lot of weight doing low carb or limiting their fat intake or doing the 5-2 diet. So that would be five days eating quote unquote normally and two days fasting, so only eating 500 calories. They've had huge results without counting calories. And actually within the industry, we've probably become, well, we've definitely become too focused on counting calories. And actually you can get fantastic results without counting calories. But there are some benefits to counting calories, obviously, which many of you know, it does keep you accountable. It does mean that we know that you're also fueling your workouts as well. And if for example, fat loss had stalled, it's much easier to be like, right, you're eating this many calories. Maybe we need to lower that or maybe we need to increase your expenditure. Whereas if you had adopted approach like low carb, for example, it, we wouldn't know exactly how much you're eating anyway. So it could be harder to make changes, but not impossible. And I have done it many times before. So maybe, hmm, maybe not. Hmm. Anyway, my point here is that you do not need to count calories. Doing so is a sensible approach, especially initially to gauge how much you're eating and or if or when fat loss stalls. But I do feel many of us have become too analytical and caught up on these numbers, which, as I've said, are a complete estimate. You know, they're an educated estimate, but they are an estimate. And there are so many chances for errors in these calculations. And so trying to measure or track very, very precise calorie intake and calorie expenditure, so energy intake and energy burn, is kind of senseless. And to prove my point, let's look at a few ways that um, errors can creep in here. So initially, your total daily energy expenditure is, as I've said, an educated guess. It's calculated using an equation, which is based on your current weight and your activity levels. It's also based off a norm. So none of us will probably fit that norm exactly, but that's sort of the population norm. So it's based off your quote unquote average person. 
So in terms of accuracy, we're already off to quite a bad start at the first hurdle. Now, secondly, your Fitbit or activity tracker or iPad, Apple Watch, that's what I'm talking about, it's not accurate. So again, some of the calculations used to estimate calorie burn and things like that, they're done off uh, population norms as well. And if you think that you're tracking your expenditure precisely, so for example, how many calories you burnt during the day on your Apple Watch or during certain activity, especially when you're exercising, I'm afraid you're not. It's actually quite an inaccurate measure, especially at higher intensities of exercising. Now, that's not to say that it's not an extremely useful tool. So please do not throw away your Fitbit. It's a great way to increase your activity levels, to stay accountable to how much you do. And it really opens your mind to how much you don't move, which is, or it does for me anyway. So the next point I wanna make is that MyFitnessPal is not accurate. I know, crazy, but portion sizes vary. One chicken breast is not always gonna be exactly the same. And if you're eating out, say for example, you go to Nando's and it says it's X amount of calories on MyFitnessPal or on their menu, the likelihood is it could be a little bit more than that. Potentially it could be a little bit less. It's probably gonna be airing on the side of a little bit more. So most restaurants want it to look like the calories are less. Now when the cook's making it, it will depend on, for example, let's look at Nando's for an example. When was the last time they put oil on the bit where they cook the chicken or how much sauces on your chicken all those things like if you're if you are really being that anal about it that will change the calorie allowance and how many chips did you get in this portion all these little inaccuracies can add up now some when i say that some people are like oh my god i need to be more accurate and i'm like no i'm saying the exact opposite i'm saying you have to accept that you cannot be accurate down to the level of a couple of calories but you can be accountable to what you're eating and you can be consistent. And when you're consistent, that means that if you're not making the results or making the progress that you want to be, then we can monitor that, adapt it and change it to make sure that you are. Now, if you're completely inconsistent, it's very hard to know where these calories might be coming in and where we can make changes that are gonna get you the results that you want. And as I've already mentioned, the other side of the energy balance equation isn't going to be the same every day either so your activity levels will vary every day and frankly if they don't you live a very boring and far too routine lifestyle but I will say actually which I found really upsetting when I first got Fitbit I remember I was working um, at hospital and I was working in research and I had a pretty set day you know it was a kind of standard I mean, it wasn't a nine to five, but it was basically a nine to five. And I realized, and this is so sad, but about to the, must have been about to the 50 steps that I was taking exactly the same steps every day. And I was like, oh my God, that's how boring my life is. Like, I know exactly how many steps I'll take because that is how routine I am at like where I park, where I walk to, where my office is, where it, um, just made me a little bit sad. Anyway, I've gone on a slight tangent. Um, activity levels and why they vary. Even little things, like if you decided to take the stairs instead of the lift, that's, I don't know, depending on how many stairs, maybe 20 calories. Maybe you 
helped an old lady up some steep hill with her five bags of shopping because you're a hero. There you go, 50 calories burnt and a pack on the back. That's a win-win situation. Um, maybe your boiler's broken and it's winter in Scotland and you're sitting in the cold all day. That could be an extra 80 calories a day from trying to stay warm and your body thermoregulating. So I've gone on quite a lot of a tangent and I actually think at some parts of this rant, I've sounded quite angry. So I'm sorry if I've scared anyone. And I'm going to now loop back to some take homes from this rant, which would be this. If weight loss is the focus and well, let's say fat loss and being in a net energy deficit by the end of the week is the primary goal for fat loss, which it should be, then stressing about 20 calories here and there isn't going to make a difference. Now, I'm going to rephrase that actually. 20 calories like at the end of the day or worrying about really, really small things because you cannot be that accurate. But what you can be is accountable to that. So I'm saying don't stress about the 20 calories, but I am saying be consistent so that if you're not getting the results that you want, we can make changes to get those results. Having a calorie target is useful. There, but, but, there is no need to obsess over it. It's just a good target. So if weight loss is the goal, I would probably err on the side of lower calories. So if I was going out for a meal and it said it was 500 calories, I might track that as 600 calories because I'm I'm ideally going to be in a deficit at the end of the week. So I'm going to err on the side of it being lower calories. Now, if weight gain is the goal, I probably err on the side of higher calories. So it might be a 500 calorie meal. Now, I probably know that restaurant portions or or the way that they've cooked it might be more than what it says on the menu. So I might leave it in at 500 calories. Sensible, in it. You see what I'm getting at here? Okay, to finish this off, I'm going to do my usual, well, usual, I did it last week. I'm doing it again this week, which is to Google a question that I have. And today I'm going to Google, why is it that you're less hungry in the heat? Because it's been pretty damn hot here. And well, actually, I say it's been pretty damn hot here. It's been like quite a nice, like 24, 25 degrees. But I know in London, it's been like close to 40, which is insane. So Google initially tells me from a pretty poor source. It looks like, I don't know, something similar to a Daily Mail um, article that it's something, basically they said, it's something to do with your metabolism. Everyone has a different metabolism. Different? Everyone has a different metabolism. Thus meaning that some people will eat less in the heat and other people won't. But that was seemed like a bit of a cop-out to me. So, you know, I've gone to PubMed, which is a, a better or at least more evidence-based source of information. And their practical recommendations are as follows. Allow for reduced intake of food unless body weight falls to dangerously low levels because heat will, to some extent, suppress appetite. It could be recognised that this is an adaptive strategy in the best interest of the individual's thermoregulatory... Thermoregulate... Oh God, I can't even read. Thermoregulatory well-being. Basically, that just means how well you can regulate heat. Number two, allow for some shifts in food preference to be determined empirically. This is so weird. Like It's like they write stuff 
well, I guess it is a scientific paper, but to make it sound like it's um, more sciencey than it is, basically all this is saying is that you might have a shift in food preference to foods that aren't hot. So yeah, if you are more likely to go for a salad, which is quite likely rather than, I don't know, like a hot roast dinner or even like hot soup. But yeah, that's not really a mind blowing concept. Uh, Number three is that ensure that protein intake is maintained at a healthy level. This is not likely to require much attention. Hmm, interesting. Okay, in hindsight, this was not a very good study to quote because it was not that interesting. However, one interesting point is that it says women may have more difficulty than men in adapting to heat. So foregoing recommendations should be observed especially closely for women. Which is kind of an interesting concept. I don't know if that's because potentially they, well, I guess we store more body fat, meaning that we're probably better at um, storing heat or less good at dissipating heat as well, which could, yeah, I guess make it more difficult to adapt to that. Okay, that was, that was not great. So I'm going to leave you with something I read this morning, which hopefully is more interesting. And it should make you want to exercise even more than you already do. So there's a study just been published, showed, in fact, there's been many studies showing this. It's not particularly new, but it is still interesting. So neuroscientists working with mice have shown that a short burst of exercise directly boosts the function of a gene that increases the connections between neurons in the hippocampus. So that's a part of the brain which is related to learning and memory. So my take home from that is that you should exercise to enhance your brain function. Now that agrees massively with my biases. So although I've just done commit to six with the first intakes, I wanted to make sure the program was as amazing as I hoped it would be. And um, I wanted to do it myself just to make sure it was. So I guess I had some body composition goals then, but in all honesty, the reason I train now is because it makes me work harder or work, maybe not harder, more efficiently. And it definitely gives me more brain stimulus and helps me focus on things, learn new things. And I would say remember more things, but my memory's pretty awful, which is why I write so many notes because I'm always scared that I'm gonna forget to do something. But yeah, I definitely feel huge benefits of exercise and activity and actually eating well to how well my brain performs. And that's a huge reason that I keep exercising, even though at the moment I don't have any particular body composition goals or particular performance goals. There's always a few things I want to do. And I'm, and by the time I get in the gym, there's always something that I want to beat or get better at or I'm annoyed if I'm not better than I was last week or trying to beat my reps last week or, or whatever that might be. But one of the main things that keeps me going is that not only does it help my mental health, it makes me feel physically good and mentally good, it also helps my creativity, learning and general brain function. I'm going to leave it there for this week. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. If you have, please tag me in your Instagram Uh, stories please write reviews or direct to friends if you think anything I've covered has been useful and might be useful to them 
Thank you very much. And I'm looking forward to sending out your check-ins tomorrow because today is Thursday. And yeah, tomorrow I'll be checking in with you all. So excited to hear how you've all got on this week. <laughs>